This is a song about vegetables. They keep you regular. They're real good for you. Some people don't go for prunes. I don't know. I've always found that if they... Woof, woof, little doggies. It's the Escape from Society podcast. I don't know if I've ever recorded an episode at night before, but it's... Nighttime right now, and there's nothing I seem to be able to do about it. This is when we're recording. Of course, hard to tell sonically whether it's daytime or nighttime. There are certain cues. I was recently in a place where the birds were out at night, and it was very unsettling, and I didn't recognize why at first and then I realized it's because it was you know 11 o'clock or midnight and the birds were squawking and that's just very uncommon that's one of your tip-offs to whether it's day or night but there's also the um, sort of late night DJ thing when I was a college student I had a uh, radio show called Jazz Frank I hosted it for a couple of years and it was um, you know some weeks I would play a lot of Frank Zappa I would probably always mix in some Zappa but it was primarily a jazz show it sort of went back and forth when I was in high school I was very influenced by this all Frank Zappa radio show that was broadcast in Maine and my high school girlfriend who was from Maine would tape it on the radio and uh, mail me the cassette tapes uh, which was very high school and very romantic and very exciting for me she even dedicated a song to me once or twice Uh, so inspired by that I wanted to carry on and do some Frank Zappa on the uh, Oberlin College radio station but I was mostly interested in jazz of course uh, in my college days so I was playing a little bit of this and that but my story is that my show was usually on Sunday nights at 10 p.m and my friends Mop and Peter hosted the 8 p.m show and when they gave us the training at WOBC to be DJs they told us that you could um, swear between 10 p.m and 6 a.m that the FCC sort of didn't care about those hours for a non-commercial station like ours. It's not entirely true, uh, as I understand it now. You're allowed to play music or spoken word that has profanity. You, the DJ, are not yourself allowed to swear. But I didn't know that at the time, and so my sign-on for the um, show, which began at 10 o'clock, was I would uh, 
come on the radio and say, it's 10 o'clock, so fuck you. Which I found funny at the time. Some people still find funny. I never got in trouble. And in fact, our station manager is now a producer of This American Life. So I, uh, my profanity didn't seem to get in the way of his career either. October, of course, Halloween. Halloween's a big thing now. It's a big commercial thing. Um, I don't remember it being like that when I was a kid. And even when I was not a kid, even when I was a college student, and Halloween was, of course, Frank Zappa's favorite holiday. And I thought, oh, cool. That's one of the ways that Zappa is esoteric, is that... His favorite holiday is Halloween. Indeed, his uh, record label, Barking Pumpkin, uh, with like a black cat logo next to a jack-o'-lantern sort of thing. However, Halloween at this point, and maybe it was even true back then, and I just didn't recognize it, is just this absolutely over-commercialized thing. I'm sure it's a source of stress in many people's lives where you got to get your kid the costume and you got to go um, trick-or-treating. And in New York City, it's great that so many people get costumed, but the, um, the Halloween parade is really a mess, and a lot of the people who go out in costume are really just kind of getting fucked up and being obnoxious, and it's not that, it's not that fun. But anyways, I am playing you some Frank Zappa in honor of Halloween, if nothing else, besides my story about hosting the uh, radio show. Can't say any of the music I played this month was Zappa-related. It was pretty much on the jazz tip. Fully-fledged jazz musician was I in the month of October.
month began on a Wednesday, and Jesse from Tin Pan had uh, organized a series of Wednesday performances downtown. The Downtown Alliance, which is a... The guy explained it as they get like a one cent... Maybe one cent per square foot or something. One cent on the dollar in tax revenue. Anyways, all of the um, buildings in Lower Manhattan, which the real estate is incredibly valuable there, they all pay a little tithe to the Downtown Alliance, and the Downtown Alliance then sets up information kiosks and little performances and probably collects trash and does, I don't know what. They had some unused space near the 9-11 memorial and they wanted to try out this month having lunchtime live music in this little space and i've mentioned before that area crawls with tourists it's right out back of trinity church which is why i'm familiar with this area um i was skeptical when jesse told me about the gig he said that the Alliance is going to throw in a hundred bucks into the hat and then we're able to sell CDs and busk, you know, get tipped as we normally do in Central Park. But a hundred dollars didn't sound like it was going to go that far and I didn't really envision the kind of people who were down there being the same kind of tourists who stop in Central Park and buy CDs and so forth. So, with some hesitancy, I headed down on Wednesday, 1st of October, and it was, there was a light drizzle by the time I got there, and we got our instruments out, but never ended up playing. Dude gave us his hundred bucks, but of course we didn't make anything on top of that. Following week was not raining so we played but indeed a few people stopped there's like a ping pong table there so some people were playing ping pong some people wandered by but it's actually in a fenced area there are open gates in the fence but still the physical barrier of the fence i think keeps people from really stopping by where they would get close enough to sit down or pass the um, the guitar case that has the tip jar in it. So, yeah, not a good moneymaker. And I was away in the middle of the month. When I was back at the end of the month for the final Wednesday, Jesse had sort of renegotiated a better um, pitch-in from the Downtown Alliance. So they wound up giving us more money than the, like, sort of paltry $25 a man. Um, and so that made a difference, but also on the last day, we just kind of sat down and relaxed and played with each other, and I don't know if it was the weather, the circumstances that day, or anything about what we were doing. It was actually a pretty successful day. Most of the people who sat down stayed for an entire set and bought a CD 
had a nice leisurely afternoon. And there were some like window washers across the street who were really digging it. And they were kind of dancing, you know, whistling while they worked and waving at us, which I appreciated. Certainly brightened their day. I mean, if you're out sort of on leisure time, yeah, it's great to see a band. But if you're stuck working and there's a, a band around or something to brighten your day like that, that's, that's cool. I was happy to be that person. Aside from these Wednesday gigs, Tin Pan was very active in Central Park during the month. I have marked down that I played seven park hits during the month, variously on guitar, tuba, and trombone. I got a little tuba time in, a little guitar time in, mostly trombone. We also had one restaurant gig at the place Fada where we played last month. Again, trio with the tuba. And that night, it was a Friday night instead of a Saturday. So the restaurant was actually much slower. But on Friday nights in Williamsburg, the National Reserve is playing at Skinny Dennis. So when Tin Pan finished, I actually brought the tuba down and sat in for the last set at Skinny Dennis. I don't know if anybody heard a note that I played. I just sort of sat in the corner and played what the bass player was playing, more or less. But some fun tuba times. Tin Pan also had a rain-out gig. Mostly beautiful weather in October. There was one day of horrific rain, and it happened to be the day that we were engaged to play at a um, apple orchard upstate. And we rented a car and we were gonna go up there and have the time of our lives. A couple of the girlfriends were coming along and it was a rain or shine gig. So we were feeling good, even though there was rain in the forecast, we were feeling good that we'd still, we'd go up there, we'd be able to pick apples and hang out in the orchard, which is personally like my favorite thing to do and play the music. And we all got together and we were in the rental car when the people called and they said, you know what, this rain is incredible. It's going sideways. The orchard is totally flooded. You guys can't come. So we lost that one. But Tin Pan was sounding good all month, uh, especially when we had sort of the A-team lineup assembled, which is uh, we're going to be recording probably before the year is out or maybe early next year and um, so some of the gigs where we had the A-team polishing our numbers getting ready for the recording session can you see them responding the pumpkin is breathing hard And on the subject of ongoing gigs, The Universe is a Small Hat had two October play tests. So we only had one in September. So this is time number two and time number three. 
time number two was also kind of a drag for me. It wasn't that much of a drag. It was better than the first one, which was just kind of a confusing ordeal. Um, the playwright Cesar substituted for a missing actress on that gig, and I actually really liked having him in that role. But the thing about it was, and this is exactly what I didn't want to happen with The Universe is a Small Hat, because if I mentioned it's a, you know, it's a independent theater production and the pay is more like an honorarium, sort of we're all getting a token amount of money to commit to this thing for the fall to the extent that, that everybody can. There are a lot of people involved. and there are, But there are only four or five people in the band. And um, I told Cesar when I agreed to do it, I said, well, the, there will be situations, I'm sure, where I'm called last minute to do a gig that pays well and I'm going to want to take it. Are you all right with that arrangement? And he said, yeah, that's okay. And that wound up happening this time. There's a whole Oktoberfest scene in New York. People who play Oktoberfest gigs, polka kind of gigs, at beer halls and so forth. And uh, I have a couple of friends who just absolutely make bank at this time of year. They put away thousands of dollars playing these polka gigs, sometimes like three in a night, you know, they'll go from place to place to place. And I haven't cracked into that scene the guys I know are not band leader guys. They're sidemen, horn player guys. And one of them recommended me for a gig that had, I don't know, a last minute cancellation or something. It was like a $200 gig that I got called for, uh, I don't know, a day in advance or something. And I wanted to do it because that's good money. It's with my friend Mario, which will be fun. And also... I wouldn't mind like being an on-call polka Oktoberfest guy if it's going to be good work, consistent work at this time of year. However, it conflicted with the universe as a small hat on a night when one of the other band members was already not going to be there and Cesar was filling in for this actress like I mentioned. So there was just no way that the show could happen if I also bailed on it. I mean, the show could happen, but it just wouldn't have music, really, and it would just be this other thing, and it'd be terrible for everyone. So I was stuck. I had to turn down the gig, do the universe, universe small hat that night, which, you know, it was an okay show, but I had this, like, sort of resentment that the thing that I didn't want to happen, which was missing out on good work to do this, happened. Um, you know, the show's at a developmental stage, so for that reason, I feel like, you know, everybody is, is given the liberty of being able to miss shows from time to time. It's unfortunate that I couldn't miss that one. A few weeks later, at the end of the month, the third playtest, I think, went best of any that we've done so far. 
I'm still playing a lot of keyboard in the show, some bass and very little trombone. I don't know if that's going to change. Might be nice to be able to do more trombone and but there's just there's some musical direction that hasn't happened yet, you know, we're still building this thing. We haven't gotten around to some of the cues and some of the concepts that we're going to need to work on. So that's where that's at. Number 3 was best yet. So the only other two gigs that I had in October were, were both with the Gordon Webster Band, also known as Gordon Webster and Friends. One was in New York City, and Gordon doesn't play with his band for swing dances in New York City that often, from what I understand. But this was an organization called Empire City Swing, and they were in a dance studio in East Midtown. Dance was fine. We played three sets. Band sounded good. This other trombone player, Jake, was on the gig too, and he's a lot of fun. I like playing with him. I didn't find the dancers to be overwhelming. I mean, I saw a lot of great dancers in New York at the Frankie 100 thing this spring. I don't know if they were necessarily from New York. I think a lot of them weren't. And we'll see. I've seen some good dancers in New York, I guess, at other places. They didn't seem to be out in force for this. It was a little more of the casual swing crew. But then Gordon had another gig in Montreal, same place I've played same gig I played last year at this time, and same place that also played in July, Cat's Corner Dance Studio in Montreal. And so on Halloween, we got in the car, me and three of the guys, plus my girlfriend who wanted to come along for a nice weekend in Montreal, escape. We drove up to Montreal, uh, got out of the city, not easily. We're supposed to meet like 10.30 at the rental car spot and the drummer was close to an hour and a half late and then realized he forgot his passport and had to go back to Brooklyn to get that. So we got out of there, we got out of New York City late and up to Montreal with no trouble, but not in time for a proper sound check. So we just did a little line check. The bass player and the piano player were already there, so they had their things set up, but we needed to set up the drums, the vocal mic, horn mics, etc. So we had a little line check and the dance started and the sound was lousy. There was There were feedback issues and you know what, this was happening on the gig in New York City the week before also. Terrible sound man, just incompetent. 
couldn't get the monitor, you know, there was one monitor that couldn't work and um, didn't know what he was doing, always sending the sound to the wrong place. These swing people cannot hire a decent sound man or get good equipment or some combination of both. So it's become this ongoing thing. I, I don't know how to stop it. Anyways, we, um, we were suffering, definitely suffering from the situation as we played. The first set was terrible. And, you know, a long day on the road aside, I was looking forward to playing. I like playing. The dancers are there. Not only are the dancers good, and I've, you know, gotten to know a couple of them. Uh, they're like all in costume because it's Halloween, which is fun. My girlfriend's there. Uh, want her to have a good time and the band to be good, etc. Man, the sound just totally took me out of it. I was not happy, and we all, you know, we went into the second set and kind of the same thing. And the saxophone player is, he runs sound, he runs, you know, live sound and had some ideas about what it is. The actual sound man had some ideas, but they were all wrong. He was just touching knobs all the time, doing the wrong thing. So the problem that we were having was ongoing, and then he added other problems to it by all the fidgeting that he did. And he never managed to solve what the problem is. After the second set, it occurred to the sax player that he's seen a problem like this before with uh, phantom power going to the bass pickup and that's you know, without being too technical that's what the problem was there was phantom power going to the bass pickup causing it to feedback so once we straightened that out the feedback was gone we still didn't have great sound because we hadn't sound checked, which was partly all our fault. Um, but at least that problem was eliminated and it started to get a little bit better. And it was a pretty fun night with a bunch of Halloween revelers. It was actually a two night affair, but the second night of the weekend was November 1st. So I'll have to brief you on that in a month's time. That's it for October. The whole middle of the month for 10 days I was in California and it was not for work. It was for uh, the purpose really of going to Matt Nelson's wedding. Matt's the saxophone player in Escape from Society. And he's from Palo Alto. And got married out there to his Oberlin sweetheart, so it was a very Oberlin heavy wedding. Had a lot of my old jazz classmates there and we jammed quite a bit the two nights that we spent together. Uh, it was a really great reunion. You'll just have to imagine how wonderful it was. There's no way I can describe it to you. I wouldn't do it justice. But we'll close this episode with uh, some of Matt's music.
because he has a couple of new records out, his own solo project, and with the band Battle Trance. So dig on Matt for a while. I bid you adieu.